0: Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 Accumulation Index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker.
1: Well, hello and welcome everyone to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. For the last time this week, you're about to watch the show that's as great as, quite simply, you want it to be. This is Spotty, streaming to you live from Ticker TV in Richmond, across the road from the rising sun. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to answer your questions live on air. So send them through right now. Dexter's waiting to take your text message on 0480 079 089, or you can email us, question at spotty.com.au. You will see these details appear at the bottom of the screen, of course, throughout the show. Um, But as I like to remind everyone, put it in your smartphone. That way it makes it much easier for you to get in contact with us when you've got a question that you need answered live. And uh, just of course, a reminder uh, again, once again, that it is Nadoc week this week, which is very important for us to acknowledge our first peoples. And also we pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional owners and custodians of this land that we broadcast this show from. Now to help us close off the spotty week, we're going to start with the, well, I can't call him anything other than market timer extraordinaire. It's David Hunt from the Profit Hunters Group. G'day David, how you doing?
2: Hey, Ilya. Very good,
1: and you? Yeah. yeah, very well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the studio, actually, next time you're in Melbourne. So uh, uh, you make Absolutely. sure you put that in your calendar, folks. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. But before that happens, not though, much. David, yeah, for those that may not know um, about you or your background, why don't you tell us a little bit about your investing style and then the business that you build at Profit Hunters and how you help investors every single day.
2: Okay, so I believe in picking bottoms in the the stock market. They they say that you might get smelly fingers doing that, but it's worked for me in the past to actually buy when everybody else is scared out of their minds. I did that in 2009. In fact, um, the financial review editor, when when I put that article in and I said, we should be buying now, that was on the 28th of February, we should be buying. I was actually looking to buy in the next two weeks. The timing was around about early uh, late late February early early March, looking to buy and hold for a long time. So when I get a good washout like we did in Qantas recently, I like to buy when it gets down into that low, a bought on the on the low day, just off the low and then start to hold that position, strip off some of those, strip off some profits, take some profits as it goes up a little bit one third and hold on. and I like to do that for my own investing purposes. wait till everybody hates something. And they're absolutely suiciding around the election, uh, the U.S. election. Those sort of those sort of things are really important to me. So I spend a lot of time thinking about those, and then trying to hold on and not take too much profit, not get out, not go short, while the market rises. And that's that's my way of investing. My way of trading is a bit differently. I take breakouts. I buy dips. I look for certain rules, the technical analysis rules, and I look to have, to get in with a, a tight stop loss so that I'm not risking much and then hold on for um, until uh, till I get a nice profit target, take some off and then manage it from there. So that's my way of doing it, investing and trading.
1: And we'll get to hear a lot about that uh, throughout the show, of course, David, as we go through everyone's questions. Well, next to help us close off the spotty week is my partner in shine. It's Chris Batchelor. G'day, Chris, how are you doing?
0: G'day, Elio. Great to be with you again today.
1: No, great to be with you too, and nice to see you face-to-face rather than over the phone. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your investing style and also your background as well, Chris, just so that everyone can get a bit of a flavour as to the way you like to look at stocks.
0: Sure thing. So I've been investing now for nigh on 30 years. I'm basically a value investor. I tend to focus on the small to mid-cap end of the market and mainly on the industrials side of things. So I've been around um, invest, investment markets all of my career. Uh, a lot of that was spent in the education sector, training financial planners and, and other participants in the financial markets. And I've also run a stock market research business for quite a few years as well. I've be involved with the Spotty team and, and working forward on bringing some great investment ideas to the public
1: a boy, that's the spirit. And most importantly, helping people from themselves, which can be inevitably the biggest barrier to success. So we're ready, folks. All we now need are for you to send your questions in now, question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 079 089. A number of you have done that already. And remember, it is the last time that we appear this week but before we get today's uh, show started a very important notice as you all know just a reminder that all the information in this show today doesn't take into account your financial objectives situations or needs therefore should you decide to act on any of this information you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances because past performance is no indicator of future performance. And if you wish to discuss any of this content with anyone other than your significant other in life, then you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to do so. And remember folks, we try to remember when we're talking about stocks to disclose whether we hold an interest in them or not, but in the cut and thrust of stock discussion, we sometimes do forget. By all means, feel free to contact us all directly and we'll be more than happy to uh, uh, explain our positions in further detail. Uh, With regards to David, it's profithunters.com.au or with uh, Chris and myself, spotty.com.au. All right then folks, for the next hour also, Spotty's proud to be powered by our sponsors at ShareWealth Systems. Now, since 1995, ShareWorld Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio with a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can win the race of investing life, then go to their website, shareworldsystems.com, and be sure to read all the relevant information before making any decision. All right, gentlemen, as we go to where the market's currently continuing on its very strong tear. The All Ordinary's up 1.09%, the XJO up 1.14%. To be honest with you, it's mainly the banks doing a lot of the heavy lifting, um, as well as some of the stocks that were sold off yesterday, having a bit of a bounce today. But let's keep it in the theme with the uh, banks, and Greg, i note your question. Thank you very much for that. But fortunately, CBA beat you to the punch because we had the last of the big banks today give us an update, and that was the Commonwealth Bank. It booked the cash profit of some $1.8 billion, which is down 16% for the first quarter, which actually, um, in terms of a decline, was less than the other majors. Net interest margins are being squeezed, which is not surprising given where interest rates are at. And though the number of, uh, the good news is, the number of uh, deferred loans is actually down, which is good news. So Chris, there's been a bit of positive momentum return to the banking sector on the back of this, uh, you know, we're coming out of things and the economic recovery that we've seen. Today CBA looks like it's the best the uh, best of the bunch. So can I get a comment from you in regards to CBA's update today? And then just your general view on the banks overall.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you said earlier, generally a pretty positive result. Like obviously, the headline figure is a cash profit fall of 16%, but operating income's flat. Um, the things that were pleasing about it were the deposits are on the increase. I guess that reflects the, uh, the take-up in um, savings rather than you know, deferring of consumption. So, in a sense, that's a good thing. People are being sensible and preparing for the future. But also, interesting home loans and indeed business lending experienced solid growth. And in fact, the Combank ex, uh, grew their loan books by about twice what the rest of the banking sect- sector did. Mm. Um, capital position, you know, it's still very strong. The, the, the challenge for the banking sector as a whole is that we're going to be in this lower interest rates environment for a long period of time. And that's squeezing their net interest margins. That's not going to go away. So in terms of, you know, the common bank themselves, operationally, their performance is good. It's about as good as you could expect, but they're still facing these macro headwinds and it's going to make it very hard for them to find growth or for any of the banks for that matter to find growth over the the next few years.
1: Now, David, you've talked to us on this program a number of times before. It was once a stock to help us see the light on CBA and it's done quite well uh, since that. Uh, But then again, to be fair, The one that you don't like, Westpac, that's also done well too. So how's about you give us a comment in regards to CBA's price at the moment, key levels you'll be watching from here on in. And then I'm sure Greg would very much appreciate your general view on the banks and whether that's updated since you last were with us.
2: Okay, for me, um, I've been, as you said, a bit of a fan of of the banks, particularly CBA. Uh, I also have liked NAB. We've had NAB in as a Profit Hunter Group trade. Uh, and been profiting quite quite nicely from that over the the, the not too distant future, uh, sorry over the, over the uh, over the recent future. So what I found was, that, where are we? Just a second. I have to put my screen up. For some reason I'm not getting my screen up here. I'm ho- I was hoping to give you a ah, moment you've, moment gone, a you've gone young, uh, <laughs> you've gone black, young you've gone black, young David. So the, we're, we're, uh, right, we're the CBA. We're, there we go. <laughs> CBA has a target up towards that uh, much bigger area at the moment. With Now, the, uh,
1: uh, David, just uh, quickly, my good man. Unfortunately, we've only got a black screen right? for you, David Warren. Oh, there we yeah. go. We've got, we're, we're live. We're, we're live.
2: live. Excellent. Okay. Go for it. I mean, I've been hoping to buy CBA down towards $62.34. I hold a lot of CBA. It's a very substantial part of my portfolio. So um, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't lost any uh, love for it. Uh, and I believe there's a, a some, I, I noticed a lot of stocks are actually paying the dividends that they deferred now. Uh, CBA still has, has taken advantage of closing lots of, lots of branches and making sure it gets rid of those pesky pensioners who might be trying to do banking with them uh, in local areas. Uh, $79.86 target is, is what I've been calling down to. I'd be, I would have been happy to buy at $62.34. I don't think it's gonna get much through $79.86 to be to be perfectly honest. I still think it's gonna spend maybe another three to four months ranging and chopping and, and changing, not getting much above $80. If mm-hmm. it gets above $80 in a clear way, probably $84 is even more important. Then I'll start to think about new highs towards $100. At the moment, volume is just not giving me the the edge for the pickup with this. One of the the, the banks that I actually find the strongest is actually National Australia Bank. And we have that as a PHG trade. We've been buying since down in here and just around the $18 area, looking for $22.57. So I've stuck with the banks. I still don't like Westpac, ANZ is probably uh, a, a, is a good stock. I have sold off some of my uh, ANZ, but still hold, and I hold, I still hold in all of the banks a touch in Westpac. It's still weak, in my opinion.
1: All right, then. So we'll go to uh, one of the sectors, actually, that uh, had a bit of a sell-off uh, yesterday was a number of stocks in the healthcare space. Now, Sean has actually emailed the question. Um, two stocks, but the first one I'm going to talk about is Fisher & Paykel. Healthcare, Chris. Um, it took an eleven percent hit uh, on the day. Of course, um, I think if my memory serves me right, it might be down a little bit further today. Obviously, on the back of a potential um, vaccine for uh, COVID nineteen, which would mean less ventilators, of course. And we know both in the case of Fisher and Paykel and Resmed, both of them had pretty uh, stellar recent periods as the sale of those went through the roof. So. Notwithstanding the fact that, you know, the good thing being there's a possible cure, Fisher and Paykel, it had the anomaly of this environment and ResMed. Let's bundle the two together if you don't mind, Chris. What's your updated view on the business now? Is this just simply a case of the price returning more to normal levels? I mean, it seemed kind of silly because you would have thought that this would have happened. But anyways, there you go. Um, Or is it potentially something more sinister down the track? What's your view in regards to Fisher and Paykel and ResMed?
0: Yeah, sure. I might just focus on Fisher & Paykel if I can. Yep. Um, So, you know, they've been a significant provider, as you mentioned, of the equipment used for treating COVID and including the consumables. Uh, So growth in that business is likely to moderate once a vaccine comes into play. Um, Mm -hmm. But like you say, that's that's an expected outcome putting COVID to the side for one minute, they have been consistently growing their revenues at like 14% for the last five years and profits, in fact, at 20%. So, you know, they should do well. However, it is worth noting, um, looking at analysts' forecasts that they're actually forecasting a small decline in revenue and in profits in FY22. Okay. So. As for the fall yesterday, I mean, it was mainly the result of a fairly dramatic rotation out of growth stocks and into more of the sort of value stocks. That said, though, I think it is important just to note that uh, FBH is looking pretty stretched in terms of its valuation. Even after that correction, it's still trading on a PE of well in excess of 50. And for a $20 billion company to be trading on a multiple of that magnitude, you know, it's going to be vulnerable to any sort of re-rating.
1: Yeah, and we, we definitely had that uh, just recently. David, would be interested in your view in regards to this because when you see savage moves like that, I mean, ignoring the news, let's let, let's just put that aside. I mean, obviously, when you get big price, you know, big gap down days or gap up days for that matter, you know, what should investors be thinking here in regards to that in light of Fisher and Pikel, and, and let's just throw in their resume as well.
2: Okay, um, I, I'm actually going shift to the, shift the language in here a little bit. Treasury Wine Estates. I'll give you an example of what I what I don't like to do mm-hmm. is to buy on the first decline. Okay. So we'll look here on Treasury Wine Estates. If I can uh, just bring this up here and reveal it to you, uh, Treasury Wine Estates. We just bought that on the day. I tweeted that to uh, to to Elio and put it out to the group that follows Spotty. So if you're a Spotty follower, or you like Spotty? Go and ha- go and sign up to Elio or my my um, tweet 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 Twitter accounts, <laughs> Profit Hunter GRP, and uh, Elio's, which is uh, Spotty, I think it is. If no you know, just my name. Elio's is good. And what I do, Elio Demato. So what I do is I send it send it out to to Elio. He gets it gets gets a bit of when I see a bit of a bargain. So uh, Treasury Wine Estates has had these massive declines all these times, right? It was a star, it was, everybody loved it. The Chinese were buying it. In Fisher, FPH, Fisher and Pycle Health, it's only just started any decline that it may be in. So I don't wanna, I really need a better place to buy. If it is going to decline, um, I'd rather see it. I'd rather be buying it. Um, on a a structural point in the shorter term. At the moment, I can't find a structural point unless you you put a stop loss below $30. So my tactics are a little bit different depending. You've seen a big decline in that treasury wine estates, but in Fisher & PyCall it's had its first shock. So most investors, particularly institutions, move very slowly and they don't think very sharply. They don't want to get out unless they're making a good, unless they've made um, a really good long-term decision. If they're making money on something, it takes them a while to bail. So this sh- initial shock should drive it down to $27.40 if it breaks $30. So my, I can't find anything structurally to buy off down here. Uh, I'd be looking at maybe at $28.44 if I, if, if I can see this churn up towards $31.98. And then go down to $28.44. Then I might be like thinking about buying it for another rally. But at the moment, I, I think it'll it's 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 kind of been punched and it's gonna be dazed and confused and chop around for a little while, then probably have another fall.
1: Well, you are cut from a different cloth. That's why we bring you on the show, David. And one of those sectors in particular, you know, you mentioned actually in your introduction there when you talked about You like to look at stocks that are absolutely uh, uh, beaten, uh, metaphorically speaking, from an investment perspective. You pointed out Qantas, as you mentioned. Um, A lot of those travel stocks, it was a topic we talked about yesterday, obviously, with the launch of the vaccine, that, you know, potentially uh, they could be doing quite well. And one of the other stocks that um, Sean talked about was uh, Unibail Redamco, which, of course, uh, popped 40% yesterday um, on the back of the fact that... uh, it looks like the uh, that vaccine may mean we can go back to food courts and uh, contract, you know, all sorts of bacteria and the E. coli or God knows what else you get at those cesspits of viruses. So, with regards to um, you know that whole view there, I'd be interested to, yeah. to hear how you've been playing that travel space, and then more specifically for Sean um, uh, Unibail Radamco. Okay, so
2: the the stocks. The stocks that I've been buying, Sydney Airport and Qantas, and I hold both of them. Now, for my my subscribers, I have a, a brilliant trader, uh, Cindy, who who shares her trades with with the members, and and so she when she always talks about her trades a bit, and uh, and so she's been buying Flight Centre, and the stock here I'll show you, I'll show you on the screen now is Flight Centre. Where are we? I have to... Flight Centre, and this is the monthly chart of Flight Centre. Now, she's been actively trading within this range, and with my help, she asked me about Flight Centre, she asked me about WebJet, they're the two stocks that she really likes. And so when people become Profit Hunter Grant members, they get to see um, some of what Cindy is trading. Uh, probably the one of the best traders who's come out of people that I've taught, there is one, one, one gentleman who made over was it seven big figures a year, actually, Um, I was was given a report of that uh, I taught him how to stop losing money and start making money, which is a beautiful thing to do, really pleasing. So he's probably my best, best, best result. Um, So what here with Flight Centre, it can rally back all the way to $22.19, and you can see volume is starting to look good. This is the monthly bars, and after one third of the month, We now have half the volume or a bit over half the volume of the previous month. So this is what's called a retracement correction, if you like, but it's also quite cheap because people will still wander into Flight Centre because they've probably forgotten how to use a lot of uh, internet-based travel companies because it's been such a long time since they can travel. So what we found here is the volume is picking up on the weekly charts also. So this has been a good trader. Sydney's very good at spotting Things that are, are strong yet within a correction. My, myself, I found this pattern a little bit, uh, a little bit deceptive, because it's still it's still not clear. It's starting to get a lot more clarity to the top side. So I like nineteen dollars and nine cents and twenty two dollars and nineteen cents in flight center. So that's a very short. Cindy's a sh- quite short term trader. I, I, I will short term trade and invest as well. So Webjet. We can maybe, see maybe, been, sorry, David, maybe just to get it along, would you mind
1: just covering, just go over Unibail Radamco, um, uh, URW, okay. yeah. Unibail,
2: uni, every every two weeks I do a, a strategy update and forecast for what the market should do on a Monday night. Uh, for those who are interested, um, send me send me an email. Of, go to the website profithunters.com.au and ask for a $100 discount on the next one, which is on Monday night. Actually, $150 discount, that would be fine, which is on Monday night. And and one of the stocks, I have a section in, I have a section in called um, Trader Date. And this is worked out on timing. And URW was one that came up in the Trader Date series in the last month. We've been looking for around this time for Uniball, URW, to be in a stronger position. And it certainly was, plus, it was sitting in the index that I am very preferable. I shifted a lot of my superannuation into that recently. Um, you know, on the last last good decline, which is the property index. So property index has has had a lot of uh, bad news about it, but it's remained very strong. Now this is the weakest in the property index, or one of the weakest, and uh, URW has, has broken up on the monthly chart. So. We've probably got it up to the top of the range to, towards $5.83 as an investor. For picking it up, I'd prefer to be buying it down towards $3.54. This, um, I think, from, from memory, i have to go back to the forecast for those people who want to see that, should last into early January with a short, medium-term target at $4.50, and I'd be running a stop loss at $3.10 if you were buying this.
1: Okay, so Chris, I mean, obviously we know how tough it's been for retail property trusts. Uh, no better exemplified by URW, of course, with its European assets. Um, it's still some way off its all-time highs, um, and typically off its twelve-month high. twelve-month highs that is, uh, by some way. So, um, do you think there's redeeming grace for Sean in this one here?
0: Um, potentially. So, I mean, as you point out, it's sold like when the low is sold out about three years ago, ever since then, it's just been a down, been a really steep downhill slope recently. So obviously a vaccine is going to help um, people resume some sort of normal life, and that will be a very positive thing for URW. Um, But it's also worth just looking at the business as a whole. A measure that i like to is what's called the Altman Z score, which provides a a measure of bankruptcy risk. And when you look at URW, it's um, currently Rated in the distressed zone on that particular ranking. They've got a lot of debt. They've got high capital requirements. So they're getting low, which is, you know, they predate COVID and not resolved yet. So the upside is the valuation is really low at the moment. So if they can stay afloat and make some modest improvements to profitability, then yeah, there may be some significant upside. But it's not one that I would call a low risk investment.
1: Yeah, and of course, the Altman Z score, something I know very well, given it was part of my career for the last 20 years. So let's move on to the next stock, Chris, if we can. Um, actually, both Fiona and Sharon have asked about this exact same stock, and literally within five minutes of each other. So I don't know if they're the same person using an alias, uh, but both of them great supporters, though, of uh, Spotty. Um, the company's EM Vision, um, the code at home for those uh, wanting to play along is EMV, uh, producing a diagnostic tool which look, I've got to admit, has been having some pretty uh, strong results to help uh, predict things like uh, um, stroke and other uh, upcoming items. So just wondering whether this med tech business has come across your radar, Chris, and uh, if you have a view on it.
0: In all honesty, I haven't come across this business prior to today. So so no, I don't really have a view on it.
1: No, that's all right. That's okay. Well, David, let's go to you then in regards to the chart. So obviously it's been screaming northeast, uh, which is... You know, you don't need to be a uh, a member of the uh, Professional Association of Technical Analysis to know that that looks like a good chart. What would be your levels at this point that you'd be advising uh, both Sharon and uh, Fiona that they'd be wanting to keep an eye on here?
2: Okay, just uh, needing to do a few little things here. I'd be looking for $4.35 on the top side, looking to buy dips down to $3.36. It actually looks like the chart of Harley Davidson um, in the US for many, many, many years. Just a beautiful, beautiful movement up. Um, let's, pick, let's give you a, actually a glimpse of it there. Um, stop loss would be below $3 if you're holding it for the medium term. Um, and if it washes out nicely, look for $2.54 on the downside. One thing I always like to do is to look for liquidity, how many shares it's doing and and whether you can get out of reasonably large positions. So at the moment, it's uh, volume is, I have to say uh, about 2.7 million shares for last time. So what I'm seeing on the daily charts is it's probably getting a little bit close to terminating this particular move up, I'd be looking to take some profit at $4. If you've had a substantial position or were trading it, take a small amount of profit, somewhere between a quarter, one third or one sixth of the position um, and moving the stop loss up to $3.30. But but otherwise, this looks like a really good fun one. Um, Certainly, certainly profitable and useful. It is it is slowing down just a little bit. Maybe I've noticed a lot of the small cap stocks, um, the small cap stock index is is suffering because the institutions are getting into the large ones they've had money on the sidelines for some stupid reason they don't like to pick the bottom of the market they like to wait till there's confirmation they tend to stay stay out and then all jump in and in a big hurry all together i guess it's the the feeling of being in the club is important to them (laughs) they don't know how to use stop losses i guess uh as well so at the moment um at the moment i'd be a little bit wanting to take a bit of profit off the table if you're in from higher levels or trading it.
1: All right, then. Well, look, EM Vision has, as Fiona actually mentioned in her question, a pretty strong uh, management uh, background. You've got to Professor Crozier, one of the original MRI manufacturers, um, as well as Dr Weinberger, who, of course, set up the great business Nanasonic um, and was the CEO over there. So there's some heavy hitters there. Recently, they also had trial <laughs> results on 30 patients that they'd run um, the technology over, which um, showed their ability to pick up um, a stroke before the event occurring was upwards of the 90% mark. So it's only early days, still, obviously, in regards to the technology and inevitably its uh, efficacy testing and and further movement, but the signs are exceptionally promising. You don't need me to tell you that, though. Just look at what the share price has done. That'll probably <laughs> tell you a lot there. So obviously, from a fundamental point of view, you can't put your hang, on, uh, hang your head on that one uh, yet. But in regards to the uh, commentary from the business, it's looking quite positive and optimistic at the moment. Um, Chris, I'll go to you in regards to another company. It came yesterday, actually. I couldn't answer it on time. Sorry, Jaden. It was relating to ReadyTech. The code is RDY. Um, now, they, he was uh, just wanting to, guys, they've acquired a business open office, and also um, there's this uh, deal with Pembro Capital, who is, um, you know, their shares came out of escrow, but they're going to continue to hold on to them. Do you have a view in regards to RDY?
0: Yeah, sure. I've had a bit of a look at this. Um, just, you know, looking at the acquisition itself, I think it makes sense. Mm. It's um, it's a business that has a, a strong um strong recurring revenue base. So, you know, 95% client retention rate. So that's very positive. Um, it's, it also, um, they're not paying over the top for it. I wouldn't call it cheap, but, you know, multiples of revenue of 3.2 and of EBITDA of 8.7 on FY21 forecasts, That that's, you know, reasonable. And they're saying that they're expecting it to be EPS accretive, which means that it will add add to the earnings per share result. So overall, I'd say it looks like a fairly good opportunity in terms of the acquisition. I think the question also asked about Pemba's um, decision not to take shares, but to take uh, cash mm. as part of the, so Pemba actually, they're the largest shareholder in ReadyTech, they own about 43% of the uh, issued capital in ReadyTech, but they're also a, a large shareholder in in the acquisition target. So um, the, the, the reason as I f- understand it for them not taking cash or, or a factor, sorry, for them taking cash, not shares, is that once you own um, a large holding of a company, like 43%, then if you increase that, you actually have to make a, a takeover offer for the whole of the business. And that's probably not something that they would want to do.
1: Mm, no, very true. That's uh, most likely the case. Look, oh, just before we have a halfway break, David, just a very brief view in regards to RDY, key
2: levels to watch. Okay, RDY. Uh, on RDY, you should be able to see my screen in a second once I get myself together. It's really at the top end of the range here at the moment. Um, it's had some very good buying volume and probably there's a bit of too much expectation on it I would say, um, so I I wouldn't like it particularly if it broke one dollar and eighty cents. I'd think it comes back down to one dollar and forty cents. I'd rather be buying down there, uh, with a with a with a good risk reward ratio. So when I pull up from the weekly charts, we look for one dollar and seven seventy cents. One dollar and seventy cents to the downside would be kind of the area medium term. I'd like like to pick it up in terms of trading. I can't imagine trading this. Uh, it's still corrective in nature if it declines to that $1.40 or to the $1.70. So generally I'll have a stop loss about 10 cents underneath those entry levels there. So at the moment nice pullback, certainly watch it in case it breaks and closes above $2.22 then that would be a jump on board but at the moment I kind of feel like it's a bit overdone and needs a pullback on particularly on the the short shorter term basis yeah it's starting to look weak on that chart for me
1: all right then so just be cautious there and just in breaking news sharon's just confirmed she is not fiona not the same person though obviously fiona must be an intelligent girl like that uh, crowd bias uh, and uh, support Always good. All right then, folks. Well, just remember, have a drink of water, gentlemen, because just a reminder, question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 079089. It's the last chance you get to do it this week. And remember, go to the website spotty.com.au to watch past episodes of the show. And of course, they're available on all the podcast channels as well. Now we continue our exploration of the 16 traits of successful investing that our great supporters at ShareWealth Systems have made available to all viewers at Spotty. And today we talk about how consistency is key to being successful successful over the long term. Now, for this trait, Gary talks about Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, who believed the key to success was to create an experience which could be replicated in all his restaurants. Now, it's not just that this consistency would be key for every diner who went into the store, but also for staff as well, where he could get anyone, plug them into the process, and they could make a burger just as good as someone who'd done it for 10 years. And basically, it's the same with your investing. Keep it simple, keep it consistent, and make it replicable. You will find the success will come closer than you think if you do those three key things. So go to the website 16traits, that's 16traits.com, and learn why consistency is key for successful investing over the long term. All right then, as we go to where the market's continuing uh, uh, to power up. The XJO up around 1.5%. Uh, All ordinary is a little less than that, but it just shows you the positive momentum's definitely continuing. Much of that driven, of course, by the banks, as we talked about um, a little bit earlier. Uh, okay, I just wanna go to you, David, on a very small little stock. Um, it came from Anonymous. Um, the stock is Aussie Broadband. The code is ABB, um, for those of you playing along at home. Um, so I'd be very interested to know some key levels in regards to this. We did have a fundamental view. Um, I think it was on Monday, but we didn't get the technical view. So given we've got you, we'd very much love that if we could, please, David.
2: Beautiful. Okay, happy to help. Um, I'm now looking at um, Aussie, broad, Aussie Band or is it Aussie Broadband? Broad That's correct, um, yes. Okay, now it's held some nice support here on the chart. So get rid of my set, mate myself and I notice there's been a big burst of buying, which was met by some destructive selling on the uh, yesterday. And now it's starting to come back. It's come back into some support and it's recently been floated and it's been confused and somebody's had a go at it on the downside, but they've done it on decreasing volume, not a lot of price data. So where I put my stop loss, if I was a long Aussie Broadband or ABB, would be below $1.82. I think it's okay to buy for a a probe up towards $2.11. Up there, I think there'll be still some sellers up there. Uh, And don't think that this will move quite so fast. It gets good wraps on customer service, but Amazim also got good wraps on customer service. That was AYS. And that chart was certainly not one you wanted to hold on to for the long time long-term, mm. it has come back a bit, but I just remember all of its wonderful kudos. It's taken a long time before it's resurrected itself. So I would just be a bit be cautious about this. It's got lots of competitors. Anybody can flick around at any time. So they've got to keep up with customer service while people flood into it. And so that's not always easy to do and people can move away now in the broadband service. If they've got other ideas, I don't know of them, but at the moment, ABB, is okay short-term, but don't expect it for a long-term.
1: All right, then. Uh, of course, you can even ask questions of myself and the number of you have a question at spotty.com.au or text 0480 Uh One of you, Mark, in particular, wanted to know uh, my view in regards to ExoFarm. EX1 is their code. It's a uh, stock that we briefly mentioned in passing yesterday with Stuart Roberts. Uh, look, for me personally, I rate ExoFarm quite highly for a number of different reasons, and yes, I hold. One is that they figured out that exospheres, which come from stem cells, are not excretion, as what science thought of once upon a time, but they're actually the sweet honey that sends the message to tell the other cells what to do. Now two, exomes, or the exploration of, which is what Exopharm uh, specialise in, is a growing field of science. Much of big farmer is moving from stem cells to exosomes. And uh, Ian Dixon, who's the uh, current head of EX1, leads this business and he's shrewd and a genius, quite frankly. He figured out that basically the brilliance in this is not working with the exosomes himself per se, even though he has, he's got a number of candidates um, going through the pipeline now, but it was to create the manufacturing facility. So that it could be done quickly on a very large scale and push them out. Ultimately, very similar to say the CSL type model. But no, this is not a CSL yet, and hasten, hasten, to add that uh, it may not ever become one because you know obviously there's a lot of risks um, that uh, you still need to consider. But what they want to do is with these candidates, if they find that they are effective and do work then they'll be looking to take a license as part of these. And that then means they get a clip of the ticket. So it de-risks um, some of the uh, business operations itself because yep, the worst case is it doesn't work and therefore they don't have to worry about it, but they also get an ongoing revenue stream should they be successful. So of course, um, that's something you need to be, uh, be very much uh, considerate of. Uh, now Chris, I'll go to you in regards to this one. This one came from Phil. Small little business involved in the retail space, but uh, an IT-based company. SkyFi is their code. SKF is the company's code. For those of you playing along at home, um, what would be your view in regards to uh, SKF? It's an interesting little business that obviously will benefit once uh, all the stores reopen again.
0: Yeah, it, indeed, Elio, it is an interesting business. Apparently, they're the world's leading omni-data intelligence company.
1: Oh, well, there I you have to go.
0: Confess, <laughs> I had no idea what omni data intelligence was. <laughs> <But> apparently it's, <laughs> it's the practice of analysing multiple data sets to create a complete understanding of experiences across the physical and digital world.
1: I'll take that as a quote. Well, to put Excellent. that
0: simply, yeah, <laughs> to put it simply, basically they take a whole bunch of inputs, um, things like guest use of Wi-Fi, they use um, beacons to count people, um, point-of-sale terminals, and a whole bunch of other inputs that they can use to then help uh, venues to understand the activity and the customer movements within their premises so it's used for example by shopping by stadiums um, hospitals museums and a whole range of other venues and the whole idea is that you're helping the venues to understand their visitor behavior and then you can improve the experiences and generate some useful insights which can be used for marketing purposes of course, this type of product has also become very relevant in in the age in which we live, and they've just recently released a product to help venues manage their compliance obligations in in the COVID era. Mm. Of course, uh, you know venues have to now keep track of how many customers they have in a, in any particular part of the venue at any point in time, and so this software helps um, helps them to manage all of that. It's a SaaS business model, so a software as a service, and. Uh, their, their revenue comes from subscriptions to the data intelligence platform. So people, uh, or businesses, subscribe to this platform to receive the the insights that are generated. And then about a, a third of their revenue also comes from you know what we might call non recurring sources. So you know they set up the equipment, they install these sensors that count um, people and, and so forth. Mm. It's been growing very strongly for the last um, five years or so, over fifty percent. Uh, per annum and you know it's projected to keep on growing they're anticipating that they will be EBITDA positive for FY21 which would make it actually the third year in a row that they've been um, in positive territory for EBITDA so you yeah, a very interesting company and a, and a very good space particularly in the current state of the world uh, growing strongly and, and it appears to have good prospects Terms of valuation price to sales is five, which is high, but it's not astronomical if it can be justified by the growth profile.
1: Mm. And I mean, one of the great, you imagine you're in the store there and you're looking along the shelves and then as you pass a particular shoe, you get this little notification on your phone that says, hey, if you buy this right now, we'll knock 20% off it. So it's one of those great little marketing tools that builds that, you know, user experience and user engagement and let's face it with more people Buying online, it's going to be incumbent on a lot of the retailers who manage foot traffic to give a better experience, and therefore it's at the uh, forefront there. David, one stock or one sector that actually got belted yesterday were a lot of the data storage guys, because apparently with the world reopening, we're going to need less of the internet. Uh, couldn't quite actually understand whether that was going to be the case or not. I think Next DC fell something like fourteen percent. But the question that I want to ask, because Gary has asked about it is in regards to um, uh, Macquarie, uh, Macquarie, the data centre. MAQ is their code for those of you M-A-Q. playing along at home. It had an announcement today saying it's won an additional contract. Um, the share price has jumped up some 5% on the back of that. So it'd be interested in your view, if you could bundle up MAQ as well as NXT, which is uh, NextDC, because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering whether yesterday's uh, blip is just an anomaly.
2: OK, well, MAQ, MAQ, uh, now I don't own MAQ, but I do own Next DC, which is kind of a little bit upsetting, but anyway, that's, that's the way it goes. That's the I way know. it goes. But I own, I, I, I own a few of them, so it's okay. Um, with this, let's, you should be able to see me on the screen here. Um, so MAQ, I can't see. It's in a response to the fact, I guess, that the NASDAQ DAX sold off. And, you know, obviously with the amount of uh, control, you know, the, 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 the social media companies and, and Jeff Bezos of the world have much more power than John Trump or Joe Biden ever would imagine to have. They couldn't even dream of how much power these people have over billions and billions of people. With Macquarie Telecom, we've just seen it come back down, make a low today, and then bounce back up. So I don't think it's all that uh, deathly at all. The buyers have stepped back in. It's always been a consistent performer. So uh, it's probably got a large fund manager sitting down there who's been very happy to buy it at that $45 area. Um, So I wouldn't want to see it break below $44 at the moment. Uh, A break above $50 sends it towards probably about $61, $62 area. So I think you you find after its decline, it's passed the test we will always need data storage. And as we get more and more more uh, more and more, um, told that we don't need to do anything and the government will just pay us to be there, we need, about the only thing we need is data storage, <laughs> aside from the odd supply of food and our gardens. So what we've, with NextDC um, coming back down to $10.85 uh, is kind of what it should do. But as you can see, somebody's bought it today and it's just like that first punch with URW. Next DC is not performing well after its first punch. Uh, so even though I hold it, I'm going to call it down to $10.97. I own it from, I think, around about the $6.56 mark from memory. So I don't mind it coming back down to $10.97 or even to $10.39. And I'll look to buy down there given the right circumstances with a stop loss below $10.
1: Okay, well, David, you mentioned that you had a couple of them, i.e. referring to stocks. There was a question from Mark, um, who has a question around portfolio construction, in particular, the number of stocks that you should hold. So I'll read uh, verbatim, or paraphrase, actually, I should do that. Um, uh, Some say that one's portfolio should not exceed, say, 15 stocks. Um, Now, he would like our view in regards to what the uh, split in a portfolio should be. So basically, how many stocks should you hold that you can still get a performance edge, but not over dilute um, you know, your performance when you do get one absolutely right. So um, I'll pass this around the table for everyone's view. So David, what's your view in regards to the right amount of stocks Um, in a portfolio, remembering that many of us may manage two or three portfolios. We've got, you know, one for ourselves, one for the super fund, and and then one for the kids or something like that. So, um, you know, what would you normally um, recommend to uh, members of Profit Owners uh, with regards to uh, the number of stocks they should be holding?
2: My belief is if a stock is making money for you, if it's paying dividends, if it is increasing in price over time, and it's working and you are in profit, you hold it and hold it until something changes. Now, I got a call a number of years ago from a gentleman and he was scared that 98% of a substantial portfolio was in corporate travel. He was scared at, I think it was about $4. And after that, it went up to $11. And I can't remember where it went to after that it went to $32. He held it all the way up. Now, Jim became a Profit Hunter Group member after a while, but he was really concerned. And I said, well, this is great. Just the trend's up. Keep going with it. Milk it. And he was scared at 4 bucks, So it went to $32. So for me, if it's working, don't screw with it, but make sure you have some stop losses higher up. Uh, sorry, lower down so that you're not taken out, and if you and, and have an exit strategy, if it's working, then that's great. In terms of uh, in terms of recommendations, most people will say the Zurich Axioms say eleven stocks. Any any benefits of diversification diversification have been warden by having a are um, lost after eleven stocks. It's a book called the Zurich Axioms. I recommend that for pe- for people who want to concentrate on that. In terms of in terms of what's in my portfolio, I've got up I think I've got about 30 stocks at the moment. And so what I found even with 30 stocks, the diversification my stock my my portfolio has has had some wonderful moves and some of them were balancing each other out. For example, I was long gold, had a few banks and financials in there, and they were the golds were outperforming the banks for a while, while the while the banks were going flat, so the portfolio went up. So for me, if it, it basically it's it's a question of managing it. Make sure you've got your stop losses on, so if something happens, you you can I can move away from that. But really, I, I don't think I don't think you need to um, I don't need to think you need to be too pressy about a portfolio. And if you look at some of the portfolios for big funds, they have a large spread and quite often they underperform on the upside and, they, and they, mm. um, they, they don't get as trashed on the downside. So um, for me, it's, I don't think it's a question of stocks. It's a, man, ma, ma, a question of management and keeping the ones that are working on it. If you're on a good thing, stick to it.
1: So Chris, I mean, uh, David touched on, you know, the uh, diversification benefit, which is maximised when you go from one to two, but then it diminishes, diminishes as you move along the sort of curve, as it were. What would you suggest would be an appropriate number for someone looking to construct a portfolio that notwithstanding, we all want them going up, but we have to acknowledge that they don't all do that at the same time. What would you suggest would be a a good number there through your learnings?
0: Yeah, I generally stick to the 15 number for for my purposes. I think that gives you a good uh, trade off between having a, a meaningful allocation to each stock, but also having sufficient diversification. Mm-hmm. uh that said right now probably around the 18 sort of mark and it's sort of inconsistent with the, the approach that david was describing i have what i call the bottom draw stocks and so they're stocks where you know they're good businesses they're performing well and i really don't you know they don't keep me up at night they're, they're very safe so i just leave them and i just let them sit there and i don't really mind what percentage of the portfolio they are and i kind of exclude them when i'm looking at the rest of the portfolio so I've held a stock called Seeker, which is a Swiss stock for the last, last four or five years, and you know, it's tripled in that time. And it's just one of those ones that, barring anything uh, calamitous or me needing the cash for some desperate reason, then I'll just leave it and let it sit there for as long as as long as it keeps to be a good business.
1: Yeah. So, and look, I mean, from my perspective, it's uh, I take a bit more of a different uh, sort of view. I've got uh 20 stocks you know minimum in my portfolio but then again i tend to go for you know a combination of some of those solid bottom draw ones and also some of the risky ones and because of that um you know the amount of uh, beta that i get or volatility that i get in the portfolio can be quite large so i like to diversify that out away a little bit it just helps me uh, rest easier um, by doing that and then the other thing of course being that i just love stocks Now, when you just love stocks and it's your hobby, not just something you do for the long term, you can collect some of these things. But both like Chris and David, as they articulated, uh, I definitely have my reasons why I bought them and I know my reasons as to when I sell them. And when that occurs, you have to do that unemotionally. With 2,000 stocks out there, trust me, folks, there's more than enough. To fill in the gap if you need to all right then gentlemen it's time for our see the light segment which is a very popular part of our program proudly brought to you by our partners in light at macro capital macro capital gives uh, everything that you need to discover analyze and execute on investment opportunities this is why they're one of australia's leading research and advisor shops helping everyday investors shine a light on financial markets so that you can navigate them with confidence Head to their website, macro, that's maqro.com.au to learn more. All right then, David, I'll go to you first. Two stocks that you'd like to help us see the light on that we can go toddle off, do our own research into, and see whether they align with our investment objectives and tolerance to risk.
2: Okay, now for me, this is a very illiquid little stock. It's called SAU Southern Gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you can see the charts that I've got up here, uh, we can see we uh, there we go. This is SAU Southern Gold. We can see that it's lobbed onto ten cents, and it's tried hard to break through that. So for me, this is in a good position. There's a few things what I in what I call for my members in the the morning trading webinars, um, the morning morning trades uh, called the speed webinars. Uh, where I issue buy and sell signals for the day and for months and investments as well, uh, what we find is it's held onto that ten cents. It is on what I call stocks to watch. So we can see on the monthly charts, getting above this seventeen cents looks for twenty-two cents and thirty-one cents. That's easy. At the moment, uh, I'm trying. I have. I'm not long this. I'm trying to buy this on dips. Dips. And or on a breakout above 14 cents looks for 15 to 16 cents, and we can see that today it's uh it's had a bit of a pullback, so I'd like to be picking it up around about 12 cents to 11 and a half cents yep. in that zone with a stop loss below 9.9 cents. This is a PHG trade that I'm not yet in on. Okay, David, I need, need that, that other stock. Sorry, David,
1: could... yeah, sorry, David, we're just running out of time. The so the other story? one, okay. yep,
2: the, the other one. Is uh, we've talked about previously, which is ST1, mm-hmm. which we have bought as a profit hunter group trade, and Elio has um, talked about this yep, and Spirit Telecom, this. Yep. And, and and getting a Spirit Telecom, and it's had a bit of a pullback, and then the volume starting to step in. So it would be really nice for this to get above forty-one cents, looking for sixty-one cents, and probably one dollar on the top side. And you can see the volume that's come in today. This is a, a good little stock. It's done what I call a fourth wave in Elliott wave terms, looking for 45 cents and 51 cents. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Thank you, David. Chris, your two stocks really quickly.
0: Yeah, I picked two rather speculative stocks for today. One's Kleos uh, Space, KSS, and the other is Neuron, uh, NEU. So, Kleos is a uh, data as a service business. And basically what they do, they had a, a significant milestone last Saturday night. They launched satellites, their first four satellites. Yep. And that enables them to collect data on boats using, um, boats that are using VHF radio. And what they're trying to do is look for boats that are trying to go undetected. So, you know, smugglers, um, other enemies, illegal fishermen this kind of thing yep. and they sell that they package up that data process it and sell it to government militaries and, and the likes oh, they will do they're just at the start at the moment but they have about 130 clients lined up and they've now got some satellites in the sky uh, biotech stock in the clinical development phase they're focused on neurological diseases um, they've got one candidate called trofinetide which is been uh, licensed out to, to an american firm called acadia And it looks to address uh, Rett syndrome, which is a a very debilitating disorder that affects girls and women. Um, And that's in phase three trials now. Acadia are taking all the risk with that, but they also then of course have the the rights to the revenue, but Nuren will receive um, milestone payments as well as uh, royalties. But Nuren also retained the rights to all territories outside of the US. And they're also working on a number of other um, uh, diseases as well.
1: All right, then. So N-E-U-K-S-S and in regards to David's S-A-U-N-S-T-I. And that, of course, was brought to you by our great friends at Macro Capital. Go to the website macromaqro.com.au macro, A-U to see why they shine the light on investment opportunities every single day. Well, that's all we have time for, gentlemen. First, want to thank my partner in Shy, Chris Batchelor, for your appearance today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Elia. And to across our, our great market timing friend, the, the great man, David Hunt from Profit Hunters. Uh, ProfitHunters.com.au is where you can go to learn more about the services that David offers. Thank you for your participation today. Thank you. All right, well, spotty.com.au is where you can go to watch past episodes and also learn more about our consulting services. You'll see there's a section there in the top toolbar, you can easily click on that and that'll appear uh, easy for you to uh, see that. You can follow us on social media, of course, Facebook or LinkedIn, myself on Twitter to keep abreast of what's going on as well. Uh, any questions, if they pop up to mind over the weekend, send it through question at or text us 0480 089. And if there's an expert you'd like to see on the show also, we're happy to take that suggestion as well. Thanks again to our partners in Shine. Uh, that is uh, sis, uh, Share Wealth Systems. Remember 16 traitscom to learn about the 16 traits of successful investing. Thanks, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Mike, for pushing all the right buttons. The Ben Robin Royer Show is coming up next. And until next week, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty. And together, we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Now, Donald, don't stuff anything up while we're off air.